tell Jeff Davis, Teen Wolf movie, scared and horny. Fist. Shelly's gonna watch this, she's gonna be like, can you please stop obsessing over my legs? Ride that giraffe off into the sunset. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Calissa Mullis and Kate Colvin. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season three, episode two, Chaos Rising. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section... Alpha is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. Chaos Rising was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. Styles' childhood friend Heather goes missing at her own birthday party, shortly after telling Styles that she wanted them to lose their virginity together. Dr. Deaton helps Isaac access memories of seeing Erica's dead body and Boyd being stuck in an abandoned bank vault with another werewolf, knowing they wouldn't be able to control themselves during the next full moon. With time running out, Scott and Derek break into the bank, and Peter and Styles realize too late it's a trap. Derek is shocked to find that the other werewolf in the vault is someone he knows. Allison ignores Derek's warnings and releases the two moon-crazy betas out into the world. And with the tension between Allison and Derek reaching its height, Scott might be forced to tell her the whole truth about her mother's death. Our favorite quote this week comes from Styles, as he doubts Derek's ability to punch through a cement wall. Styles says, okay, big guy, let's see it. Let's see that fist. Big old fist. Make it. Come on, get it out there. Don't be scared, big bad wolf. Yeah, look at that. Fist. Steric fans had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> I'm sure. We have some honorable mentions as well. Our first is an exchange between Derek and Peter. Derek says, we don't like you. Now shut up and help us. Peter says, fair enough, because he recognizes who he is. <laughs> I know who I am in this story. <laughs> <laughs> we have another honorable mention from Styles when he says, look, there may have been a little maiming, okay, a little mangling, but not death. And that's what I call an important distinction. Is it Styles? Is that what you call an important distinction? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a court of law, it might be an important distinction. So. The episode begins as Scott and Styles attend the 17th birthday party of Styles' friend, Heather. She goes to a different school. <laughs> Niche reference. She goes to a different school, but Styles has known her since nursery school, he says. Who says nursery school? We only ever say elementary school here. Wolfies, do you say nursery school where you are or elementary school or elementary school? Yeah, I don't know anyone that says nursery school, but Styles looks so hot in this episode. So pale and giraffey. I'm really into it. Girl's got a type. Uh, it's a pale giraffe. <laughs> 
Heather also happens to know Danielle, played by walk-on contest winner Chantel Rhodes, whom we previously saw in the season two episode Party Guest. Heather tells Danielle she wants to lose her virginity tonight. Danielle asks if she's sure, given that the first time is usually messy and a little painful. Okay, I really wish that teen shows were allowed to talk about sex in a way that was more like instructive and helpful. Like Teen Wolf is pretty good about being sex positive, but I'd really like someone to reframe how we talk about first times. And I don't just mean like that virginity is a social construct that's way too connotatively confused and loaded with patriarchal heteronormative meaning. Obviously that's true, but just instead of being like, there's blood and pain, could we not be like, here's some advice, friend. Don't skip the foreplay. Prep and communication are key. Use lots of lube. And also there's a lot out there besides penetrative sex. Thumbs up. (laughs) No? A very special episode brought to you by Kate. (laughs) But Heather says she's certain and she has her sights set on Styles. In fact, she kisses him pretty much as soon as he walks through the door. His face. Yeah, I know. It's really adorable. (laughs) I too would pounce on him as soon as he walked through the door. Ride that giraffe off into the sunset. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) What an image. (laughs) Quite the image. Okay. Danielle gives Scott some major attitude before walking away confused puppy oh what happened between party guest and now she was very helpful in that episode i feel like her character is like jack black on community she's been partying to all of their ridiculous shenanigans all along they just didn't notice she's been like slightly out of frame she's been sitting in the back of the classroom as they talk super loudly about supernatural stuff and she's going you guys are making the stupidest decisions so now she just sees scott kind of turn to her and she's like no. <laughs> yeah, like when Kanama Jackson was destroying the library, she was just sitting at another table, just staring at her book, like trying to study here. Do you mind? So then Heather leads Styles down to the wine cellar. That seems like a terrible place to try to have sex. There's so much glass. Drafty, cold. Yeah, just a cold concrete floor or up against the racks of alcohol that'll just fall over. I mean, that would be hilarious, but like this is her house, right? She has a bed yeah and personally i wouldn't trust styles in a wine cellar for two seconds yeah bull in a china shop situation i'd like to say that the bike joke in the scene wasn't in the original script the whole like do you know what i want for my birthday he says a bike and then she says Aww. to not be a virgin and that one she just says do you know what i want for my birthday to not be a virgin anymore she just like goes right into it nice Oh, interesting. So Styles has to go upstairs to the bathroom to get a condom belonging to Heather's brother. It's so weird that her brother keeps them in the bathroom. Keep them in your bedroom like a normal person. Uh, yeah, that's what bedside tables were invented for. <laughs> her family clearly does not know where to keep things or do things. Yeah, and it's not like he just wants to have them also for his like teen sister who might decide one day to use them with a partner because he, because Styles finds a box of extra, extra large condoms and those are not standard use. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Just, uh, you know, tie off the ends or, you know, over the testicles too. Either way, it's a win-win. Oh my God. God. I know how to sex. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so sure. (laughs) Is her brother Ron Jeremy? I mean, do they even have XXL? I don't recall ever seeing that. So uh, while Styles is upstairs, Heather is attacked by a mysterious force that breaks wine bottles all around her, cutting her with the glass before finally pulling her out of a window. And immediately after deciding to have sex, this is some late 1970s, early 1980s slasher logic right here. 
We actually worked with Caitlin Custer, who plays Heather, when we were PAs on the Mortuary Collection. Yes, we did. And there was a lot of glass involved then, too. Going back to the scene, though, I, I was actually wondering why Heather took her shoes off in the first place. Because the writers knew what was going to happen. Oh, okay. That makes sense then. <laughs> it's somehow weirder that she had shoes on and then decided to take them off. I mean, people go barefoot in their own homes. Right. But here she's wearing heels for the party, I assume, to look hot. And they hadn't started having sex yet. So it seems weird to take them off at that time. Yeah. And you can have sex in heels unless it's like foot-based, but... And he's taller than... <laughs> And he's taller than her. It's not like she wanted to be like more on his level. So that's why she right. took him off. I just Yeah, like that would be fine. The only yeah. thing that would make like, sense to me is if she was like a moment away from just like pouncing on him, like, you know, hold me style, hold me styles. <laughs> just one style. Okay. Just a single style. Hold me style. <laughs> well, I actually meant like that style of sex. And then I was like, oh, his new styles. So. Ah, got it. Like, you know. Uh, like up against a wall style. Yeah. Styles returns to the wine cellar to find Heather gone, but not a single bottle of wine out of place. This ends the teaser. That's why you always have a condom in your pocket. You never know when surprise sex is going to happen. A condom or like a Snickers wrapper, at least. Oh my God. Wolfies, do not listen to Grandpa Will. In who's my never day, had sex in his life. That is <laughs> mostly not true. So <laughs> no, it's completely untrue. I have had this sex multiple <laughs> times. Multiple times. Multiple times. <laughs> Can you count them on both hands, Will? Both hands? All right, let's move on. We don't need to <laughs> get into specifics here. This uh, isn't a cop podcast about me. With Derek's encouragement and despite his own reservations, Isaac lets Peter put his claws in the back of his neck and attempt to retrieve the memories that the Alpha Pack stole from him. This is our first time seeing the loft, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, not, not too bad, Derek. Not, yeah. not doing too badly for yourself. Definitely a step up. I, I have to say... Isaac seemed a little hesitant to tell Derek yes when Derek asked whether Isaac trusted him. Him as in Derek, not Peter. Yeah, I think he does trust Derek, just as not as much as he trusts Scott. But I'd like to point out that Peter never actually answered Isaac's question about how Peter learned to do the memory thing. I have a feeling Peter has left some people paralyzed while trying to figure out this skill. He never even did it when he was an alpha that we saw. And he says in this episode that's a skill mostly used by alphas. Uh, true. This is why you need to do a prequel series, Will. Young Peter was definitely into the dark stuff. I have a feeling the memory thing isn't standard. Yes, but have fun unfucking the timeline, Will. With a Snickers wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it all back. Oh, I love it. Peter doesn't manage to recover anything, though, but he does manage to pull out one piece of information that Boyd and Erica will be dead on the full moon, which is tomorrow night. Another attempt to glean information, Allison goes to Scott, Styles, and Derek with her theory that the bruises left on her and Lydia's arms are a meaningful pattern they need to identify. Lydia maintains that the bruises are just pareidolia, the tendency to perceive a pattern or meaning to a stimulus, usually visual. It's a subset of apophenia, the tendency to perceive a relationship between two unrelated things. In the original script, after Lydia says this, Derek has a line, and I love it. The line is just, what she said. <laughs> oh my god, really? Yeah, yeah. Instead of going right into Scott saying they're trying to help, Lydia says that, Derek says what she said, then Scott says take another look, Derek says I don't need to, and then it goes back to what we see on screen. But I, I just love the idea of Derek responding what she said. Okay, so there was going to be imagery of Derek Hale saying what she said, and they took that from us. Yes. Monsters. Yeah. That ain't monsters. right. True monsters. Yeah. <laughs> 
Derek agrees, though he expresses it less logically and more angrily since Lydia used him to resurrect Peter and Allison shot him in his pack full of arrows. Styles reminds him that no one died, prompting Allison to protest that her mom died. Your mother was a murderer. Nothing of value is lost, Styles mm-hmm. says. <laughs> yes. Derek counters that it was the hunter's code that killed Victoria, not him. That is accurate. Allison clarifies that she's not here to help Derek, only Scott. Derek tells her to find something real if she wants to help. Scott takes Derek aside and asks him to give Allison more of a chance. Okay, what reason does he actually have to do that? Because yeah. she's the most important person in the whole wide world, Kate. Scott yeah. has tried to tell everyone that. Everyone. No one listens. Derek says that if Scott really considers Allison to be on their side, then he should be honest with her about what her mother was trying to do the night Derek bit her. Uh, yeah. Agree. At school, uh, it sounds stupid <laughs> when I do it. At school, Styles wonders what the Alpha Pack would want with Erica and Boyd. Scott thinks that they're not the ones the Alpha Pack wants. Styles asks if he means Derek, but Scott is distracted by the Alpha Twins. What was this bit about? It, it's confusing. Yeah, it's just the Alpha Twins. What about them? Their existence? Yeah, I thought they just overdone the slow mo bit, but. It's actually like something that's discussed in the script. It says, but Scott doesn't answer. He slows, something catching his attention. Glancing back, the world around him quiets. He glimpses two students walking the opposite direction, but turns too late to see their faces. They seem somehow similar, almost like, but then it cuts off there. So we don't know what it's almost like. I don't know if it's almost like they're twins or almost like they're like him. I think it's supposed to be like almost like they're twins because I, I feel like Has that's... he never seen twins before? <laughs> no, like, not in Beacon Hills. Like they don't exist. Like when I read that, I was like, did they mean familiar? Like they seem somehow familiar. But if they meant similar, then it's like almost like they're twins. But like, has he just never encountered twins? I don't know. It it makes more sense to me if he's it's it's what's similar is like that he thinks they're also werewolves because yeah, like the twin thing, that's Nothing I feel like the entire world should like drown out about. Oh my God, those two are twins. Who knew? They they seem somehow similar to himself. Yeah. Rather than to each other. Right. It's it's awkward because they are twins, but I think that's probably what they were going for. Hmm. But this is one of those things that you can kind of get in the business of a script that doesn't actually translate well into the actual visuals of something because it just doesn't work very well. Because you're trying to connect information I guess, visually, but like one of the characters doesn't have all the information, you mm-hmm. know, so it'd be different if he if he had seen them before and was putting two things together, but he doesn't have half of an equation and he's just seeing the other half of it and it doesn't, right. just, it just doesn't come across visually. So yeah, that, that's why they say you have to be careful about the audience knowing information that the characters don't. And in this situation, like we've, se- we've seen the twins in Isaac's flashback. Right. Or in the teaser, I guess, before we flash back to it or whatever. Yeah. But Scott hasn't. So it just makes it weird where we're like, yeah, but you don't know that they were part of this. And yeah. Right. This this scene would work if it was Isaac instead of Scott. Right. Right. Also, werewolf senses and scent, all that type of stuff. But it's just the wrong characters in this scene. In Econ, Scott shocks Coach Finstock by actually knowing the answer to a question. The two concepts that govern the stock market, which are risk and reward. Good for you, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) Coach asks the class for a quarter to use in a demonstration, and in trying to take one out of his pocket, Styles accidentally flings the XXL condom he got from Heather's across the room. Speaking of slow-mo. This one I'll accept, but it does just say that he didn't change his pants from last night. Yeah, and I believe that. 
Oh, I totally do too. I mean, he's a teen boy. Yeah. Seeing it, coach congratulates Styles. You can't say that, coach. Yeah. The supervisor that's just always sitting in the back of coach's class just yells out, can't say that, coach. <laughs> you get two more for this class period. then coach goes back to the demonstration on risk and reward he offers scott the chance to make a bet on himself if he can bounce a quarter into a cup he doesn't have to take the next quiz if he tries and fails he has to take the quiz and write an essay if he doesn't try at all he has to take the quiz but he doesn't have to do any extra work scott chooses not to play styles on the other hand is delighted to try his hand he gives a little drum roll at his desk it's adorable but also Bet he'd want to bounce a quarter off Derek's ass. Deadass. Deadass. <laughs> but before Styles can bounce the quarter, the sheriff and his deputies come up to question him about Heather. It turns out she disappeared last night. Styles says he just assumed she hooked up with her other friends after she left the wine cellar, but apparently Styles was the last person to have seen her before she went missing. Side note, Danny bounces the quarter and scores. Because Danny's I mean, perfect. Yeah, who had any doubts? I still love Coach, though, just telling Greenberg to put his hand down because he didn't stand a chance. (laughs) Don't bother, Greenberg. You're garbage. So Styles didn't see Heather again at her own party, and he didn't think that was weird at all? Yeah, I mean, like, the house wasn't a mansion, although it did have a wine cellar. Still, he would have seen her at some point, right? It's classic straight guy stuff. He's too busy being mad about his blue balls. I mean, it seems like you just wonder, like, oh, did she find someone else? Like, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who would be like angry. He didn't seem angry in that scene. He just seems like, okay, well, this isn't happening. So I feel like he would have tried to have been like telling her bye and happy birthday again. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been angry, but please tell me I'm wrong that a teenage boy given the opportunity to have sex and then losing that opportunity would not search high and low for that person if they disappeared. I honestly think you would have gone room to room and talked to every single person. I've been like, have you seen Heather? Yeah. I always thought, oh, she went to get like another drink and gone looking for her. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lydia covets an alpha twin. Which twin, you and Allison may ask? The straight one, obviously. Allison considers the possibility that the image she perceives in the bruises on her and Lydia's arms could in fact be a logo rather than a symbol. A logo is a symbol. Isn't it? (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) I feel like, I know she's inspired by Lydia drinking coffee in front of her. It just seems like such a weird jump to me. Like there's so many symbols in the world and she spent like a day looking at them and he's, she's like, oh, better switch to logos. Yeah. It's a weird leap. It's a weird leap. Making this weird leap, Allison decides to use a search engine. Ooh, now they've got quick lookup instead of inquiry it. (laughs) Quick lookup acquired inquiry it. Styles desperately wants to figure out what happened to Heather. Their moms were best friends before Styles' mom died. They used to take bubble baths together. Styles also wants to know whether it had anything to do with the Alpha Pack, and that means getting Isaac to remember. Remember, Isaac, remember. Remember, Isaac, remember. Scott suggests that since the werewolves, Derek and Peter, couldn't manage it, maybe they should ask someone who isn't a werewolf but knows a lot about them, Deaton. Who still won't say exactly how he knows so much about them. I mean, he could be like Van Helsing out there with werewolves. And Guillermo. which I mean, we have gotten, let's see, it was end of, toward the end of last season was when we got the thing that he used to work with Talia. Mm-hmm. But I find that answer sus because I'm like, 
Mm, where that footage Mm -mm, mm -mm. where is it yeah well not so much where's that footage it's just that apparently promises were made between deaton and talia and there's no footage of him fulfilling that promise in the first season so yeah or ever told you he had his fingers crossed behind his back (laughs) she did say that that's accurate she did Deaton's idea is to lower Isaac's body temperature and heart rate so that he slips into a trance-like state. Which is also called a coma. Just ask Peter. Yeah. Sort of like being hypnotized. Isaac touches the tub of ice water Deaton has prepared for him and is freaked out by how freezing cold it is. He looks like a cat bear. Hiss. While the others discuss the danger Isaac is facing, Styles is busy putting on an elbow-length rubber glove, which gets a raised eyebrow from Derek. What you doing there, Styles? Fist. Part one. He just won't let him have any fun. He's just trying to lighten the moment yep. before half killing Isaac. Fun note, though, the eyebrow raise wasn't in the script. There's no specific reaction from Derek written into it whenever he looks Excellent. at Styles. Excellent. Nice. Though so Derek reminds Isaac that he doesn't have to do this, Isaac gets in. Isaac, tell us what you're feeling. My testicles are inside me. Is that how that works? I've never had testicles. I don't. They're They're not all that. They're cracked up to me. It's fine. <laughs> They're very weak. <laughs> it's very true. It's a poor evolutionary design. At Dean's prompting, the others hold Isaac under. You're not trying to drown him, are you? Dean tells them not to say anything during the process. Too many voices could draw Isaac out of his current state. Looking at you, Styles. Deaton asks hypnotized Isaac for his permission to ask him a few questions. Isaac agrees. You know we value politeness. <laughs> So, Isaac encountered the Alphas because they took his memories, right? Mm-hmm. So why didn't they keep him? They had Erica and Boyd. Why didn't they keep Isaac, too? I think he escaped. When we open, he's with a woman on the motorcycle. So you think she rescued him? I think he escaped and she found him as he was fleeing. And then if it hadn't been for her, he would have probably been recaptured because he was so weak. I think that makes some kind of sense. But she must have been on their trail already because she for a random encounter she knows a lot about wolves right terrified by the memories isaac nonetheless is able to report that the building where he encountered the alphas was stone maybe marble it was also abandoned yeah that doesn't narrow it down that's half of beacon hills mm-hmm. yes dean tries to keep isaac calm but he panics oh i feel like as the show progresses uh isaac's anchor becomes scott i can yeah. see that Deaton reminds Isaac that memories can't hurt him. Just squeeze Scott's hand. It's only emotional pain. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Deaton asks what Isaac sees. There's some sort of flashback filter. It's so hard to see. (laughs) Yeah, I don't love that filter. Isaac reports hearing them, specifically Boyd saying, I can't control it. Neither of us will. Isaac says that Boyd was talking about being out of control when the full moon rises. He can't see Boyd or whoever he's speaking to, so he can't say for sure if it's Erica. But he knows they're afraid they'll hurt each other. Derek says that if they're locked together during the full moon, they'll tear each other apart. Oh, come on. It only took Scott like one full moon to get himself under control, right? Yep. He mostly just became the class bitch. <laughs> like he doesn't tear people apart except with words. That's true. Despite Deaton's warnings, a panicked Derek pushes Isaac to remember where he was. Finally, Isaac remembers that it was a bank fault. Beacon Bank. Beacon Hills Trust and Loan. Beacon Hills First National Bank. Or, yeah, that, that's good too. Close enough. Isaac comes out of the trance, not remembering the last thing he said. Styles tells Isaac that the Alphas had dragged him into a room and there was a body in it. 
Erica's body. It's interesting because in the script we have, Act 4 begins with a scene with Allison instead of going back to the clinic with the others discussing what had just been revealed. In the script, we have Allison going to the bank's entrance doors. It's locked tight. She examines the padlock, then lets it drop. Slowly retreating from the back from the ominous building, Allison's gaze falls on the image that brought her here. The bank's logo, a decal on the glass doors. Exactly the same as the pattern left on her and Lydia's arm. When she finally turns to hurry to her car, something else appears just behind the logo. A pair of glowing red eyes watching her car roar off into the night. So it was basically just her going there and then having to come back with like bolt cutters, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just to establish that the bank is locked and abandoned. And but you can totally see why they would cut that out because all you got to do is see those bolt cutters later. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's an abandoned building. It's probably locked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just one of those things that when you're writing a script, you're like, I think you need this connective tissue. But then when you're watching a cut, you're like, nope, don't need it for pace. So yep. yeah, no one ever thinks about it. Derek refuses to accept that Erica's dead, pointing out that Boyd was talking to someone. If not Erica, then who? Isaac says it can't be the girl on the motorcycle because the girl was human and whomever Boyd was talking to was a werewolf. Styles wonders whether that's how Erica died. The alphas pit werewolves against each other during the full moon, like werewolf Thunderdome. I don't think Derek appreciates that joke. He does not. Derek insists that they launch a rescue tonight, but that means they need a plan that will allow them to break into a bank vault. Stiles finds an article saying that the Beacon Hills First National Bank vault was robbed a few years ago. If robbers got in, so can they. Derek asks how long it'll take to find out how they did it. And Stiles says, it's the internet, Derek. Minutes. He got real cocky there. What surprises me is his dad's the sheriff. I feel like that would be the way to do it, not using the internet. I think he was just trying to impress Derek. Oh, he was. I'm so good at this, Derek. I'm going to come up with the answer so fast. But yeah, I mean, he could have done that by looking at police files. Cut to 10 hours later when Scott and Styles are passed out on piles of internet research and have to be woken up for school by the sheriff, who also informs them that there's still no news about the missing Heather. I love Styles' sleeping position. That's exactly how one of my dogs sleeps. Butt in the air. <laughs> yep. Styles is frustrated by their lack of progress, saying that the time they have left doesn't make Erica any less dead, or Boyd any less about to be dead. It's shitty how no one but Derek seems to care much about Erica being dead. Styles brought it up here. Yeah, but it just feels like he said it so casually. Oh, Erica's dead. <laughs> Having independently identified the bruises on her and Lydia's arms as the Beacon Hills First National Bank logo, Allison decides to investigate herself. Why isn't she telling Scott, Lydia asks? Because according to someone, they need something real. Ugh. You know, it pisses me off that Scott still isn't telling Allison that her mom tried to kill him. I understand wanting to give her time to grieve, but it's clearly causing friction. I'd like to give Derek a shout out for having the restraint on to tell her anyway, like up to this point in the story, without Scott's permission. Uh, yeah, he should have just said it in that scene. He just should have done it. Yeah. Yeah. After school, the group meets up at Derek's loft to go over the plan. Styles discovered that the bank robbers used a rooftop air conditioning vent that leads down to the wall of the vault. One of the robbers was lowered into the shaft where he drilled through the stone wall. It took 12 hours to do so. Of course, the wall has since been patched, which means they'll need a drill. Derek says to forget the drill and ask instead how much space he'll have in there. Styles patronizingly asks Derek whether he's going to punch through a wall. Derek says, yeah. Styles starts to explain that Derek will only have three inches of space to gather enough force to punch through solid concrete. But Derek uses just three inches of space to punch Styles' palm, and that makes the point well enough. 
fist part two i love this so much this interaction is so good derek is like bruce lee in the script after being punched style says mother of god but in the show he just makes pain sounds and says he can do it i do love the noises that yeah both are good he does good noises derek asks who if anyone will follow him down peter passes citing their abysmal odds of success a whole pack of killer alphas, two of whom combine to form one giant alpha. Yeah, I, I imagine Peter just thinks that looks so dumb. He will not partake <laughs> in associating with any alphas that fist each other and become one big one. <laughs> Derek asks, what about you? Styles says that if Derek wants him to come, he will. It's so adorable. Oh, Styles. This little exchange isn't in the script and it goes straight to Scott's reply. Aww. Really? Yeah. Interesting. This has all sorts of little Derek moments in it. It Derek clarifies that he means Scott, of course. Scott says that if there's a chance of saving Boyd, they have to take it, even if they still have no idea who the other person is in the vault. That affect the plan? I know, right? Does that matter anyway at this stage? I mean, if you're going in any way to help Boyd, why would you waste any time or processing power on wondering who the other person in there is? Because we need an act out, damn it. Allison breaks into the Beacon Hills First National Bank only to encounter Ms. Morell. Who is wearing some very high heels. Okay, Scott withholding information about Allison's mom is causing them to continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, namely not telling each other their plans. But it was Derek who said she needed something real. So just go to Scott, not Derek. I feel like she's mad that he's working with Derek after what happened to her mom. But that's fixable if they just told her the thing. It feels like just kind of melodrama at this point, like arbitrary angst because he doesn't want to say the thing. Yeah. Just doesn't like uncomfortable conversations. Well, nobody likes them. Morel tells her to lock herself into the storage closet and escape once the fighting has already started. Alison does so, pouring some ammonia to cover her scent. Good for them, remembering that werewolves have super smell. Yeah, I was impressed. I mean, they could still hear heartbeats and breathing and stuff, but... Mm, true. In the script, this bit with Allison and Kali is more straightforward. Kali stops, searches for her scent, and moves on. Then we discover Allison with the ammonia. In the show, these moments are intercut to build tension. Also in the script, Allison doesn't take off her jacket to lay across the puddle of ammonia. Which is still weird to me. I don't understand. Take off. Yeah, to lay it in the, in the ammonia. What I, I mean, I, I get it, but... Is it just to like sop it up so it doesn't like, so the puddle doesn't spread out? I guess. To her horror, Allison finds Erica's body. Let's just shove the body into a closet. So Isaac hid in that closet and that's where he saw the body? They said dragged him into a room earlier, but I guess that room was actually more of a closet. Mm. Well, he relates hard to Harry Potter. (laughs) In the script, Allison doesn't use her phone to find Erica's body. Yeah, she just stumbles upon it. She's reaching around. Uh, Okay. The old yeah. reach around. The old reach Which I around. Kind of makes more sense, right? Because doesn't Erica's head move? And if Allison didn't like bump the body, it wouldn't move, right? Yeah, it's like she has her phone and she's looking around for something, but she's not looking for anything actually in the scene. Like, because nothing plays out with that later on. Like, she's, oh, this is the thing I was looking for, but I found a body instead. It's just mm-hmm. they decided, I guess they didn't want to do the thing where someone's kind of searching blindly and finds a body. Maybe they thought that was gauche i mean they just immediately do like the like head drop thing that i feel like is pretty standard horror movie fair i thought she was looking around for a weapon that i could see and that then I could she see. sees a body and, and she's like one. yeah yeah she, and she's more distracted by her former classmate's body 
Yeah, I could totally see that. I, I think maybe if that's what they were going for, they could have played that up a little bit where she's like doing something with, like she's looking around with a phone and then finds something on like the shelf and like takes a swing with it to see if it could be used and she doesn't like it and keeps searching and then finds the body. But either way, body. Back at the loft, Styles complains about how nerve-wracking it is to wait around like this. Peter offers to beat him unconscious so he doesn't have to wait. One thing, who in the world left Styles alone with Peter? That sounds like a bad idea. Yes. But also, is that a velvet couch Peter's sitting on? Crushed velvet, the best kind of velvet. Derek has amazing taste. Indeed. I feel like actually Derek didn't even get it. Peter was just like, you have nothing for me to sit on. I'm buying something and having it shipped to your place. That seems more likely. He definitely seems like more of a velvet guy than Derek would be. Undeterred, Styles tries to reason out why the Alphas would have chosen the bank. Don't they have a lair? I mean, they're villains after all. Are they living at the bank? Does the vault remind them of their little wolf dens? I love how he says little wolf dens. Styles has spent some time thinking deeply about werewolf culture and how adorable it must be. Oh, I love it. But Peter can't roll his eyes hard enough. Wolf dens are not a thing for werewolves. He, for example, has an apartment downtown. But Styles insists that's all the more reason to wonder why they chose the bank vault. And why wait three full moons? This leads Peter to a possible epiphany. They need to find out what the walls of the bank vault are made of. Similarly, Scott is wondering why the Alphas waited so long to make their move. Derek says they don't have time to figure out before they go in. Scott brings up why he learned an econ, risk and reward. They can't weigh the risk adequately because they don't have enough information. Derek says that he knows that he's risking his life for Boyd and Erica's, and he's okay with that. Scott, bring this up earlier. Like, before he said they have to try even if there's stuff they don't know, they're already at the bank now. Yeah. He had to go home and sleep on it? (laughs) I mean, it's not like Derek was saying, it has to be tonight because I'm impatient and feel like it. It's because they know the Alpha swore that Boyd and Erica would both be dead by the end of the night. In the script, there are a few more lines between Scott and Derek at the beginning of this. At the beginning of the scene, Scott says, now I kind of wish we'd let Styles come. Derek asks why. Because he would have been able to come up with something better than I told you so. Wow. I don't like that. Styles and Peter find out the walls of the vault are made of hecatolite, a mineral that scatters moonlight. That means the betas haven't felt the moonlight in months. With their tolerance for it diminished, they'll be like ravenous lions when they're exposed to it again. That means they won't just kill each other, they'll kill Derek and Scott. Kidding. They'll just kill Derek. He'll shake it off. It's fine. Hey, he's died twice. What can't we face when we're together? We need that musical episode of Teen Wolf. I did find a song that had Wear Coyote in the title, you know. What? Really? Yeah, it's a Psycho Billy song, though. Styles calls Scott to warn him, but he and Derek are already in the bank. Derek is trying to calm Boyd down, and Scott barely manages to tell Derek they have a problem before another werewolf comes into view, a woman. Derek looks shocked and calls her Cora. Wait, I know those eyebrows. Cora tries to get Derek to leave now, but before he and Scott can do anything, Miss Morell completes a mountain ash circle, trapping Boyd, Cora, Scott, and Derek in the vault together. Dekelion reminds her that she's gotten her hands dirty before. Derek explains that Cora is his younger sister, who he thought was dead. Just then, Allison appears. Derek tells her not to break the seal, but she doesn't listen. She sets moon crazy Cora and Boyd free. Derek asks whether she has any idea what she just let loose on the world. Allison can't believe he wants to blame her when she's not the one turning teenagers into killers. He's not turning teenagers into killers. He turned Jackson, Isaac, Erica, and Boyd. Isaac, Erica, and Boyd never killed anyone. And, okay, Jackson did kill people, but it was Matt who made him do it, not Derek. Yeah, it was a clear distinction. Derek says Allison's family were the ones turning teenagers into killers. 
Allison admits that she's made mistakes. And I won't apologize for them. Yeah, she's forgiven herself. And that's all that really matters. Exactly. <laughs> like Mark Wahlberg. I was literally about to say that. Oh, shit. <laughs> Future will leave that shit in. Oh, I am. But Gerard was not her fault, she says. Derek asks, what about her mother? Then tells Scott that it's time he finally told Allison the truth. Meanwhile, at the Martin house, Lydia wakes up suddenly and screams at the top of her lungs. Cramps. Same. So in the script, right before the scene with Lydia, there was one more scene. It's of two ominous silhouettes at uh, Lookout Point looking down over the glittering lights of Beacon Hills. And you know, things are about to get real bad. But then they cut it, I'm assuming, for time. Because the the menace was was pretty Is, clear. We, yeah, the... we got it. So yeah. yeah. We feel menaced. Exactly. <laughs> we feel we feel adequately menaced. The episode ends there. Bum, bum, bum. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Chaos Rising. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. Do I have to remind you what we're up against here? A pack of alphas, all of them killers. And if that's not enough to scare your testicles back into your stomach, try to remember that two of them combine bodies to form one giant alpha. I'm sure Erica and Boyd are sweet kids they're gonna be missed. All right, Wolfies. Now we're gonna jump over to our interview with Carly Herbert, makeup department head for Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. I just hope I can remember enough stuff to not, it's been a while. It has not been a problem yet. So, okay, good. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> so how did you originally get into doing makeup for film and TV? I was in high school. I was studying to be a dancer and I went to college to be a choreographer and I was going to Cal State Long Beach and that was like in my head and that was all I could think about and that was all I was doing. And I had like a freak neurosurgery situation where I had to get neurosurgery in my throat and very quickly my whole life changed like I couldn't sweat properly. My pupils didn't dilate properly. So I had to kind of like, I was so career oriented all the time that I kind of freaked out and had to figure out something else to do. And I was like, okay, hair or makeup for, for dance productions. That's something I've done up until now, like all of the performers ourselves. And then I went to makeup school at MUD in Los Angeles. And I just kind of really got into like the character work and the prosthetics and the grittiness of all that. And I ended up just doing film and TV. So completely oddly I don't want to say by accident but it was just something I never imagined I'd be doing wow. and I was yeah interesting well, transition yeah. yeah yeah wow very cool so how did Teen Wolf um specifically come into your life so my story with Teen Wolf is kind of crazy because I started as a makeup PA on I think season 3b and then by the by season six, I was makeup department heading. So to get there, wow. I um I had worked, you know, before I got in the union, I was doing a lot of like indie films and stuff like that. And I went to go work in a shop for Kenny Myers, and Kenny Myers was working a lot with Christopher Gallagher. And so I met Chris Gallagher at that shop, and he department heads the effects side of Team Wolf with Bite Mares. And he knew I was on set a lot and that was what I wanted to get into and I was close to my union days and he pulled me on and had me start PAing and then within like a year before season four I actually got in the union and then he started throwing me on the show so fantastic I, yeah, yeah so awesome 
I worked for Gallagher for a couple of years and then Philly Temple was running the um, beauty side, the straight beauty side of it. And she knew I've always done beauty and prosthetics pretty hand in hand. And she knew that I did that. And she had an opening on her side. And she's like, let's throw Carly over here. And then years later, Philly went off to do features and Jeff and everybody were trying to figure out who to throw in to the makeup mix for department head. And I think Chris Gallagher was kind of like, Carly's department had a lot of indie stuff. She's never done a union thing, but she's been here. She's been working on Posey. She's been doing these things. And for some reason, Jeff and all of them were crazy enough to let me department head. And so I started department heading season six. And that's nice. kind of the, the chunk of it. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's starting at the bottom and ending up at the top. That's, way up. that's yeah. fantastic. I'm very fortunate. And I'm very thankful because doing that show opened the door for all the union stuff and all the shows I got to run been on. So it was a huge, it was an amazing opportunity. It's pretty yeah, crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Jeff's always been really good about promoting from within that. It's just like, who, who can we keep in the family and just move up and, and all that. So it's, it's awesome. That's fantastic. That's, that's the thing I say, like, you know, I've been doing makeup like 15 years. I think it was like six years ago. We did teen Wolf for five. Mm-hmm. Was it that long ago now? Five. And, yeah. Seriously, to this day, I have not been on a show where the cast, the crew, everybody is so close. And re- usually you're like, oh, film film family, that's super toxic. And these people are like really awesome. Like it's the only show that I still keep in touch with actors. I still keep in touch with crew. Like it's just, it really is a, a crazy little family. Yes, it was. It's quite cool. As you know, Will, because you, you like jumped up too in that whole world. I did. I was very, I was very fortunate. Jeff was also crazy that day and said oh, let's see what, see what will can do and i didn't f- it up so there you go that was awesome <laughs> he's a good crazy he's a smart no kid. it was fantastic it was it was awesome so i mean he he i mean he you know gave katie eastridge her first uh yes! directing job yes! and eric and jd so i mean it's and dave Dan- so it's like everyone and posey and posey you know and angela became a writer from being a pa so it, it's you know kyle our other pa our writer assistant got his first script and so i mean jeff was very much a you know it's like i know what you're doing now but what what do, do you want, you to, want do? to do? So yeah. we're going to see if we can make that happen. Do you prefer doing more the beauty side or more the special effects side? I have to be honest. I really, I know, I really like doing them both. I really, I will say I, I get more particular about the beauty side. Like I, I like doing all types of beauty, but I like doing period pieces and stuff that really challenge me and like a, a lot of character work as well. Um, so I guess I like, I prefer to do, character prosthetics but I really some you know on Teen Wolf Gallagher does the prosthetics I do the straight makeup side but on other shows you know I do it all or I do one or the other like I kind of I kind of jump around just depends what project is there a type of creature you wish you could have worked on on Teen Wolf is there is there a monster we never got around to that okay so I totally geek out about all this stuff so I got to work on a bunch of like cool stuff with Gallagher if I could have done any of the creatures I would have loved to help with the canima that was a really cool one that they nice. did. All those scales and all that stuff and all that. was a cool one. Yeah, it was very cool. So as you mentioned, Teen Wolf is coming back in the form of a movie. Would you be interested in returning to, to the world of Beacon Hills? Hell yeah. I think honestly, yes, of course. And I've told Jeff, I'm like, listen, I know everybody's <laughs> bugging you, but if you need another makeup person, you know where I am. But of course, because of the same of what I said before, like obviously it's a great show, cool characters, cool storylines, all that kind of stuff. And like, everybody loves horror and spooks and all that kind of stuff. 
but again behind the scenes the crew and the people and the actors like it's like a weird home and of course I want to go back I think people are crazy if they didn't want to you know and yeah. I think you know everybody who who loves the show and who's been involved over the years wants to see where it goes wants to see what's going to happen like it's interesting to us too you know yeah everyone we've talked to has basically said they would drop what they were doing and 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 go back to work with Jeff and be back on Team Wolf so it's yeah. it's pretty awesome I'm pretty sure everybody like at home when they saw like they saw the first posting was like oh, he's come out he's come back to life Jeff Davis is he's back yes <clears throat> Like, is there a call? Do we will we hear it? What's gonna happen? But yeah, it is. It's pretty exciting. What's the weirdest special makeup effect that you've ever done? Ever? I don't know if weird isn't creepy or weird isn't. I just did a bunch of penis prosthetics for a show, so that was a kind of weird situation. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good answer. I don't know if you want me to go down that path, but. I mean, as far as you know, that was something that was new to me on the last show that I that I just did and was challenging. But I think um, as far as like gore and stuff like that, I, I've done a lot of blood tubing and a lot of gags. And I always really, really like doing that kind of stuff, like slitting throats, taking on intestines, ripping <laughs> off faces. Like there was this really cool effect on 911. I got to help out an artist named Mike McCash and we like degloved a person's arm. <gasps> stuff like that's really that's good. Uh, you know? I saw those Instagram oh pictures. Did you? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it gets, I don't know, anything challenging and fun, but I think gags are a whole nother beast. And so those are always really cool, like making blood cannons and stuff like that. I saw that Instagram picture too. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to post everything you work on because- it's Oh just, my gosh. Just scrolling through Instagram and Carly's like, oh, I tested a blood rig today. And it's just you with blood just like sprayed all over your like, <laughs> It was successful. It. That's awesome. I love it so much. Yeah. So those kind of stuff are, are really cool. Can you name drop what the show was that had the penis prosthetics? It's a show called Minx on HBO. Oh, nice! I'm very nice. excited for it. It's it's a, like a story. It's a 19 about the 1970s start of like a feminist um, kind of like a playgirl, but not playgirl, like a nudie magazine about men. So nice, oh. very different from Beacon Hills, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds really fun though. Yeah, it sounds great. How would you compare the Teen Wolf set to other shows you've worked on, like American Horror Story or Fear the Walking Dead? I mean, obviously it was better, but... I, I mean, honestly, out of all of those, Teen Wolf has been, like, my best experience. Again, it's that thing of, like, home, but there was, like... What's interesting about Horror Story that's cool is, like, every season it changes and it's kind of in a different theme, right? And it's contained within a theme. And then Fear the Walking Dead, I went out there and I helped the zombies, and it was kind of always the same thing. Like, you had your basic zombies and your da 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 da, -da. What's cool about Teen Wolf, when I'm just talking about like a show perspective, is like you've had these characters from season one through season six, you've been following all of them. You've seen these characters grow up, you've seen them change, you've seen them become creatures, you've seen them do different powers. It's The show is really all-encompassing because it has prosthetics, it has a ton of hair work, it has a ton of character work. You know, you have teeth, you have nails, you have blood, you have dishevelment. It just, it has, it encompasses just a lot more overall. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like I, I go to Fear the Walking Dead and I'm like, cool, I'm going to do zombie and it's going to live in this world. And that's that horror story. We're contained in this, in this story. And like, it's very stylized in one way. We're like, we're Teen Wolf kind of is across the board all over. So what's the process like bringing a new character or a new creature to life and like discovering their look? So like when a new character comes on, normally, um, you know, we get headshots, we get our script. So you would first go through your script and you'd see the character and you try to get the idea through the character by their actions and by their dialogue and stuff like that. 
And then we start getting information within ourselves. So Barbara Vasquez, who's been the costume designer, she, I would start seeing the clothing ideas she'd be getting, you know, like we would see who was casted for it, kind of get an idea for them and start talking to them. Cause you know, depending on the person I do work with the actor and like see what their thoughts are as well. You know, you always try to encompass that. And, you know, obviously talk to Jeff and Joe Janier and the director and see like what they're thinking for it. So it's kind of a process cause you like, you can read, you can sit there and read a script and you say, oh, this is totally what I have in my head. This is my idea. Then you get Jeff or someone else who has an idea and you're like, oh, okay. So you're gonna go this way a little bit more. And then you just start picking and picking. So at the end of the day, you're kind of pulled images and ideas for everything to make one character. Nice. Cool. Very cool. You know, there's sometimes, depending on the characters, there's test makeups, there's references. Like when I start a new show, I usually make boards to get visual ideas of like what directions I want the makeups to go. So it really just depends. For a prosthetic, again, I don't want to speak on like Chris Gallagher's behalf, but it, but it becomes like design work. And depending on the prosthetic life casting, mold making, sculpting, like that whole, that whole thing. Nice. But again, it all starts on paper and reading the script and jumping back and forth and back and forth. Nice. Do you, do you ever collaborate with the actors on their looks? Absolutely. And you know, depending who the person is and who the name is and stuff, like they have more of a say or, or less or any of that. But no matter what the project, it's really important to me that the person I'm working on feels just as good about the makeup and everything that's happening as I do. So aside from just knowing what products and stuff that their skin likes, like a big thing for me is like, I wanna know how the actors wanna feel. Mm -hmm. And so I wanna help like pull that however visually that I can with the situation and add to that, not take away from them acting wise or what they're doing, but like, just let's just play on that a little bit. So I really like to see where people are coming from. And, you know, I'm never one to turn down an idea, even if I think someone's crazy. <laughs> I even will be like, okay, let's try it. And this is why it doesn't work. Or, you know, you have the conversation, but I try to always be open-minded. What was a typical day on the Teen Wolf set like for you? It was kind of, depending on the show, depending on what season I was working, it was always different. So when I worked for Chris Gallagher, we would start sometimes like, which was the prosthetic side, we would start sometimes like two to three hours pre-call in the day. So, you know, if, if a call was a 6 a.m. on a Monday, usually we were doing more effects and stuff by the end of the week as we go into nights. So let's say we had, I think one of our craziest days, we had a 4 p.m. call. We got there at 2 p.m., had makeups ready by 5 p.m., shot all nights, and then at 6 a.m. we had two hours of removing makeups. So that was like a crazy, crazy, crazy day. And then because our cast is so large, actually on the, like the straight makeup side, like Posey, you know, I had like full body, tattoo cover him and stuff. And a lot of these guys would come in and need more time in the chair than normally you'd need for like a 10 minute or 15 minute actor. So we'd end up doing hours like that on the straight makeup side sometimes too. But like a typical day is, you know, for me, like season six, when I was heading it, I would, you know, the night before, the day before we get our call sheets, we get our prelims, we kind of schedule out our day to that. We get in in the morning, I would get in the morning, me and our team would get ready for the day, do hot towels, prep all the looks for the day break down the schedules again and then you know the actors start coming in the first two or three hours a day you get ready and then you try to get everybody ready on the time you go to set and then you start set and you do that whole dance so it really changed what we would do depending on the day depending on what was happening and depending on the looks what was the makeup that took so long that day do you remember I mean there was I remember one makeup that was really cool that I helped you know Posey like I would just cover Posey's tattoos and we, I think we ended up doing it like 45 minutes or something. And like, literally 
me and like Posey would just blast Blink-182 and just like, <laughs> kind of like dance around the trailer and people thought we were insane because Posey would sometimes like just run around and then I'd be like chasing him and following him. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, ah! and you have to totally imagine that. With this weird like pink haired girl like running around after him and everyone's just like, that's, that's fine. Just that's my poor trailer, dude. But um, I remember like, for example, you know, I think the wolves, you know, would sometimes take like an hour and a half to a couple hours. Again, I don't want to speak on Chris's side, but I remember there was one time when I helped them with Holland with like the Lydia burn. I think it was like season four or five, but a full burn makeup on her. And I think that was like two and a half, three hours. But we get pre-called a lot of times because they want the makeups to be ready by the time everyone's on set and setting up the first Mm -hmm. shot. So right. that's why we have such early calls, depending. And, you know, there's plenty of times when the makeups are going on throughout the day, too. But there's a lot of moving parts. Like, that show had a lot going on. A lot <laughs> happening. Yeah. A lot of changes. And, you know, episodic life's crazy alone. And then you get, you add like a horror show element into it and you're just off the rails. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Just, yeah. Which is great. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh my gosh. I thought about this earlier and I have so many things. It's kind of like just ADD spitting, but like one of my favorite images from the entire show was, and you guys are probably going to name it, right? I'm just going to say the scene and sorry, everybody like working film and TV, this is just how I am. I know like just bits of everything, but was, I think it was Nagitsune. Was it Nagitsune with mm-hmm. the white? The, yeah, the uh, bandages. Yeah. yeah. When he yeah. was sitting with, with O'Brien, with Styles on that like tree stump playing yeah. chess. Yeah. That whole warehouse that was open. Being on set, I like walked in and I had chills because that was what it looked like in person. It blew my mind. You walk in this, this like stark warehouse, super white and bright and just like the most like gritty, odd thing in the center and just them kind of like lifelessly sitting there because I'm pretty sure it was Void Styles at this time too. But that was one of my favorite images. And I also, you know, I loved the ghostwriters. I loved, um, I even liked like the Nazi werewolves. I liked all that stuff. Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot of stuff. The new Gitsune, I really, really liked him. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a fan favorite. Yeah. Or another thing that I really liked, which was season six, that that um when I was when I was heading the last season, one of my favorite, one of the my favorite things that we worked on was, and correct me if I'm wrong, like what we called this, but it was when Styles was like the ghostwriters took styles and they took him to like this purgatory, right? Mm-hmm. Like the train station. Yeah. That was some of the coolest scenes to film because we had all of that background. We're all like, we're all like ghosted out and paled out and like muted. And it was just like super stark and weird and dark. And I really loved that stuff too. We definitely had a, had a, 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 a range of everything on the show. Yeah. It's like, it definitely feels like out of a hundred episodes, you can find something totally. that you're like, this was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so. Or it was funny. I was thinking about it too. Like how you start to like see the sets as different characters. <laughs> so like, yeah. I was watching and I was like, whenever someone's in the in the damn hospital, whenever someone's <laughs> next to the hospital doors or something, or that elevator, like shit always goes down. And it's funny. It's like, why are they in the locker room? I was thinking about that too. I'm like, whenever they start walking in the locker room. But that's that's what's cool about that show. It, it has that consistencies and those things that happen. There's a lot of like characters that aren't just the characters in the show, which is cool. Yeah. Like the Jeep, the Jeep is definitely its own character. Yep. The, I was going to say, Styles Jeep just became like, I just remember everybody being like, where is he? And just like everyone posting Jeeps and I was getting messages with just Jeeps and I was like, <laughs> what's <laughs> happening? I just touched their faces. <laughs> I don't know where the Jeep is. I don't know. What 
are some of your favorite characters that you've worked on and it doesn't have to be limited to Teen Wolf? One of my favorite, well, my favorite on Teen Wolf, one of my favorite humans is like Shelly Hedding. I've, I've stayed friends with her throughout the years and I had a lot of fun working with her on set. Her and Posey were like really, really fun. So they're badass characters, but they're just cool people to be around. And I remember I got really excited to do Kate Argent when she came back because I was like, yeah, I get to do like the badass Kate chick. So she's fun too. Any badass females, there's a lot of them on Teen Wolf. All those guys are cool. Um, nice. Characters over, overall, I had a lot of fun. I Again, I really like period pieces. I had a lot of fun with um, a lot of the stuff we did for AHS 1984 because we took characters from like 1984 to I think it was 19... 87 then to like 1989 and then we had flashbacks from the 70s and so that was really cool to take take some of those characters and work them and bring them back and stuff and they Ryan Murphy makes their characters so over the top that it's just fun to like play around with them <laughs> yeah that was a really fun season to watch yeah but I don't know I, I love doing prosthetics I've gotten to work on a lot of fun shows like Star Trek and Orville and stuff like that doing cool prosthetics for people so I don't know everything's so across the board I'm just like I don't even know anymore nice just so wild I just like to do I like period pieces I like gore I like challenges I like super stylized things and that's just I like anything that gravitates me towards anything challenging like that um so you've worked on some really great projects like Teen Wolf Captain Marvel and Star Wars but do you think they all pale in comparison to Bigfoot the TV movie you worked on in 2010 oh my god when I saw you say that I was just like no you didn't um, I mean, obviously, Bigfoot is the best movie that's ever been made. I think I was Will's obsessed with Bigfoot. So he is, he, yes. He, Are you he, really? He, I love Bigfoot. Yeah, and Bigfoot's my favorite sort of, not supernatural, but kind of... Cryptid? Uh, uh, cryptid it's yeah. a cryptid, but I don't know what the general term is, but I just love Bigfoot. I think Big... Oh. I don't know why. And then I was looking at your IMDb, and I was like, hold the phone. <laughs> what? And I've even seen that movie. So I was just like even happier. You have seen it? Or you I have seen it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how did it make you feel, Will? <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, I had a great time watching it because it's incredibly over the top in every way. So, I mean, you know, and plus you have a lot of, you, you have you know, it, like Danny Bonaducci and act, another actor whose name I can't remember. I think Sherilyn Finn yeah, is Sherilyn in that movie. In and it's just, it's just one of those films where you watch it and it's like every stage of writing it, producing it, making it, it's like, no, no, 11. Just <laughs> yeah. 11 on everything. You, oh, is this just dialogue? Do people talking? 11. Alice Cooper was in it. Alice Cooper was in it. Like, oh my God. Yeah. That is awesome. Uh, it's interesting it's it's definitely worth it so it's like experience everyone yes. stop what you're doing and please don't check it out just kidding <laughs> uh, no I used to when I first like started I got into a lot of I got into asylum I was working for asylum who did sharknado mm-hmm. you guys have heard and I laughed just because everybody knows it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous but I was very fortunate because I did a ton of their movies and as crazy and ridiculous as they were I learned a lot but Bigfoot was one of them. I actually got in the union through Bigfoot. Nice. Yeah. Up in Seattle, but it was crazy. You know, non-union stuff is crazy. You're getting like a hundred dollars a day. You don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> it's just, it's just wild. Nice. Well, thank but. you. Thank you for that. Also, Star Wars is good, but <laughs> Star Wars is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did um Billy. I was working with um 
Billy Lord at the time on Horror Story and they had I just worked on the LA unit of that and just did her makeup but they did a bunch of shots of her a bunch of um shots in LA and so she brought me on to do that so that was pretty cool so it wasn't like cool. full blown but I mean it's pretty it's still pretty still cool. still yeah. awesome yeah. So, yeah thanks Billy <laughs> but still like it's not as good as Bigfoot obviously Bigfoot's better than everything so yeah, obviously so, there you go <laughs> if you could be any teen wolf creature what would you be it's no just kidding um any teen wolf creature i mean i'd want to be like the alpha you know what i mean i want to be the alpha wolf obviously like nice pack. so Good I, choice. Think, I don't know if that's but i do i do love again back to the kate argent the wear jaguar come on come on yeah the noel she on. was the makeup and everything i mean yeah. she's beautiful already but then you put all that on and you're just like it. scared and yeah. horny so scared <laughs> and horny well how you should be how, a woman how everyone be. feels watching watching teen wolf exactly Wait, that's the ta- official tagline yeah. yes tell jeff davis teen wolf the movie scared and horny <laughs> no but another scene to bring up another scene because i'm just all like i loved that i can't remember what season it is but when kate argent comes and she's like i'm back bitches and it's like all the motorcycles are all turned over and she like rides up and everything's on fire and she just walks up. I was like, yeah. And I was like throwing blood at her at the time. And I just like, <laughs> <laughs> my little cup and like watered down blood. Like, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nerdy. Yeah. If you'd see us behind the scenes with like what we do with blood and stuff, you'd just be like, this is crazy. (laughs) All that matters. I've said before, all that matters is the actual frame. Everything else is just a circus. But on, but if you (laughs) you find her the camera, you're like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So, yeah. So good. So you worked on at least three projects set in the 80s. What do you think the characters of Beacon Hills would look like if that show were set in the 80s? Oh my god! If that, I think. Um, do you think Shelly would have a mohawk? <gasps> now she would. Oh have, I would pay good money to see that. Malia with a mohawk. She'd have like a mohawk, and she'd have like a cut off like wife beater with like the jean, little jeans showing off her legs a lot. Shelly's gonna watch this. She'd be like, "Can you please stop obsessing over my legs?" And I'll be like, Sorry. <laughs> "Remember loving lo- rubbing lotion on them." Also. <laughs> That's living the dream, right? Yeah. I think Lydia, I think she would be like the bombshell with like the the smoked out, like blue eyes and the heavy liner. Um, the boys, I'm like, what would the boys be? I feel like Styles would have like a sort of ducky look from Pretty and Pink. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. P- Peter would be uh, kind of Wall Street-ish, probably. Uh, Michael, Michael Douglas. Ian's character? Yeah. Peter. Oh my gosh, he's the greatest too. Like, who doesn't love, who doesn't have a crush on Peter? Like, give me a break. <laughs> Very popular. Very popular. I'm really killing this 1980s question. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It's fun. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Is there a a kind of either traditional makeup or a makeup effect you haven't done yet but want to? I wanted to do so. I did. I always like there's this thing called Monster Palooza that happens, obviously COVID and everything, but which was really cool. Like a lot of the artists from Team Wolf go there too, like Gallagher and all of them are there as well. But there's a trade show where where a lot of us go and we make creatures for a certain booth and do things. And what I like to do is I like to like challenge myself whenever I like create a makeup. So for one year I was like, oh, 
I want to do like this angel with wings, but I don't want to do like the strap around her shoulders because you'll see that that's kind of the only way to do it. So I want to figure out how to like make it strapless and just go around her back. So one year, like that was what I did. And then another year I was like, I want to make a Krampus, but I want to make him like 14 feet tall. So I kind of did that. And so in that kind of series, like I've been really fortunate to do a lot of wild stuff on set. So I'm kind of like if I had to do a makeup, it's like designing my own thing and doing like building another like kind of angel creature that kind of bleeds on their own and has like a blood cag like on attached to herself that she can like rig and walk around with. So like, those are the kind of things I think about. When... I mean, clearly I love so cool. like huge characters and stuff for film and TV, but like if I'm just like sitting there, I like to do little side projects and stuff like that. That's so cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's pretty fun. So you said that if you could be any Teen Wolf creature, you would want to be an alpha. Who on the Teen Wolf set would make the best alpha? Would it be you? I mean, of course I'm going to say it would be me. You know who else is an alpha? We all know who I'm going to say. Barbara. Barbara. Come Accurate. on. Accurate. Come on, thing. Yep. Come on. I'd always, I'd have to go up to Barbara's time and be like, Barbara, stop being so damn crazy. I got to rein you in. <laughs> <laughs> Together, Barbara. Barbara would be a good alpha. Definitely on the crew. Well, who did you say? Well, who do you think would be a good alpha from the crew? Oh, uh, I think Melissa Ponzio. Oh, would, yeah. Would, uh, probably be the best alpha out of everybody. Melissa Ponzio is a dream. That is, is accurate. Yes. That's what everyone tells One us. Yeah. The sweetest, most beautiful human beings in the planet. And yeah. it's crazy. The best kind of crazy. I'm like, Ponzi I want crazy. everybody's like, I want her to be my mom. And I was like, I know we all do. She's <laughs> better in person. Like it's annoying. All these, that's another thing about this show. And I'm not just saying this is all these guys are really cool. So that's also really refreshing. Like going back to like, why would you want to come back to the show and stuff? Because like the people you're around for 14, 16 hours a day are all people you actually want to be around. Yeah. So that's a huge that's thing. Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I really love hearing that, that, you know, their favorite show actually has good people working on it. Yeah. Man, oh man, you guys all know that's not normally the case. Not normally no. the case. Yeah, we were very lucky with that show. Yeah. In many ways. So it's good. So outside of the show you've already mentioned, do you have any other upcoming projects you'd like to tell us about? No, honestly, I had a couple things that were happening and I think they keep getting pushed for COVID. So I had a couple shows that I did last year, like Sex Lives of College Girls and then Minx that's going to be premiering. So hopefully those things are coming up. Um, I'm helping out on a couple shows right now, but I'm not running them. Um, but yeah, but Minx comes out. Minx is, um, is airing on March 17th, I think on HBO. So as far as projects that I've worked on that are airing, that one's the next one to hit. So I'm excited for that one. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to check that out. Yeah, is me too. Sex lives of Sex Lives of College Girls. Is that already out or is it yeah. upcoming? Okay. Yeah, it was it was out on HBO Max. It's a Mindy Kaling show. Okay. Like, I remember seeing the ads for it. Yeah. Hey, your sisters were just talking about it the other day, Kate. Telling oh. you you should watch it. <laughs> and that's why oh, when I okay. go, it's it's hard for me to pinpoint one project because it's like I go from Teen Wolf to like Sex Lives, which is a bunch of like beauty, which is challenging too in its own way, but like beauty makeups. And then I go to Minx with like prosthetics and character. It's like, I'm so across the board that sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what I like. I'm just all over the place. It's exactly. Nice. But it's great though, but it's great. I mean, you're, 
instead of being, I guess, like maybe honed in on one thing that you like the most, it's, it's just, I like doing everything. So at least then there's always something for you to choose from. If there's like, I, will, I like being a part of creating stories and creating characters. So for me, that's like a lot of different worlds and a lot of different settings. And I don't want to be just pushed into one. That's very cool. That's very cool. You're cool. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. See, You're welcome. see, he doesn't hear other people think I'm cool. I'll uh, venue, Venmo you that money. Thank you. <laughs> Forgot to mention it earlier. So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, well, Carly, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining us and, and coming on and talking to us about this show that we all love very much and, and, are, and are returning to soon with the movie and with the podcast. And, and just thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for Ryan. I can't wait to, to read the movie. I can't wait. Me too. So, <laughs> it's gonna be good. Uh, it's gonna be. It was so. It was so great running into y'all at the office that day uh, when y'all were walking through for. Uh, well, that was for Minx, right? Y'all were there yes, for it was. Uh, for Minx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There and, were those uh, prosthetics there too. And I know you showed me a picture. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> hey, Will, how's it going? Look at this. Look at this giant thanks, penis. It's like, thanks, okay, sure. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was great. It was, it was awesome. It was great seeing people back at the stages and 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 the Teen Wolf family. So it's it was good. But, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we don't want to take up any more of your time. You have a wonderful rest of your evening, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you, you so for much for coming on the show. Great really talking to you. Of course, yes. you guys are wild. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We had a great time talking with Carly, but now it's back to spoilers. So we get Cora. Apparently, Cora, uh, Derek's long lost, thought to thought to be dead, thought, long lost, believed to be dead sister. I'm so excited for her to meet Lydia. It's gonna be great. Cause I ship it, y'all. Me too. <laughs> I love Cora, but as we continue on, I'm gonna point out that I have so many questions about her character. Yeah, I I do feel like we don't get very robust explanations for how this happened. Like how did she end up in South America and how did she not know that Laura and Derek were alive? I mean, Laura's not alive now, but for the last like six years she had been. Yeah. So. It's she somehow got out of the fire. And in, I feel like reality, if you escaped that thing, if you escaped something horrible that your family was involved with, you would then come back to the the, the location of the horrible thing, like very recently, like you would be there to watch the fire department put, it, put out the fire and anyone else who was in that, who has managed to escape would probably be there too. I can at least say for Cora, so the fire was six years ago, Kate. Mm-hmm. So she would have been 11-ish. 10 or 11, I'd say. And at least it makes more sense for a child who possibly did see her family burning to death just to run and then not come back right away i yes it feels like she would have checked to see if they really all were dead in the does, intervening it, six years because no it's not it like- does yeah it does make sense like you know for six years i just meant like you know will was saying immediately to go back while like the fire department was there i can see her oh. being like so traumatized and horrified like i can imagine her like for whatever reason, maybe she was the only one who was like, I don't know, maybe she was out of the house like playing or something and then the fire started and 
we saw Peter like going to like the window and them trying to like get out their arms like that. So like, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out, maybe Talia was able to yell at her to like run and hide or something. She could have even mm-hmm. been like, not, she didn't do a full shift like Malia, but you know, hiding out in the woods for days or weeks, you know, just following like her mother's orders and being like, if they did live, they're going to come find me. Mm-hmm. I could see that if Talia was, if when it all happened, that Talia was like, this is an attack, that they just knew what was happening and she told her to run and was like, I'll come find you or someone will find you. And then no one came to find her because there are only three Dean four survivors. Dean will find you. Uh, <laughs> never to, never ask Dean <laughs> to do anything because he's not going to do it. Come on, Dean. He had already paid for a vacation that week. He had plans. He was on an Alaskan cruise. Mm-hmm. saw that saw like a phone call coming in from talia and he was like click nope declined declined but yeah i can just imagine yeah like she was given an order by her alpha to run hide and they would come find her but then yeah like no one ever did yeah and that's just heartbreaking but it is that's my head cannon for what happened and then she was grabbed and taken yeah I like that. I wish it was in the story, unless you tell me it is, because I don't remember that there was like animosity that like she was like, no one came to find me. You were alive, but no one came type of thing. Oh. I mean, she has a lot of anger, but right. we don't like Kate says, we don't get a lot of questions answered. We just, yeah. you know, she's disappointed that there was a alpha hail and then she comes back and there's not a real pack. Yeah. It is so crushing to me when we get to that part where Derek realizes that he's a disappointment to her. It's rough. I'm crushed. All right. So Morel is working for slash with Deucalion? Yeah, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I forgot that this was a thing until we were watching this episode. Me too. <laughs> and then it got to that point. I was like, what's she doing here? Wait, what's she doing with the Mount Nash? What yeah. is happening? Like, I did not remember that at all i'm assuming we're going to come back to it at some point but i also feel like there's no way it becomes like a major storyline because then i would have remembered it i think yeah or i like to think i would remember it if it didn't (laughs) become like a full-fledged subplot for the season yeah it seems to me like they were going to do more of a whole like deaton and morel are kind of like opposite versions of each other Mm -hmm. like you know she's working with the bad guys he's working for the good guys and stuff but then they kind of just both end up in the middle <laughs> it seems yeah. like they're neither of them's like seems like they're fully committing to anything yeah mm-hmm. i don't know because yes dean's always helping scott but he could help him a lot more by giving him information and he chooses not to mm-hmm. and it yeah. doesn't seem like there's any particular reason why he doesn't mm-hmm. well and if you think back to that conversation where he's tells Derek that he made a promise to Talia he then goes on to say that Scott and I think he just says Scott and Stalinsky or he says he and Stalinsky and Derek assumes he means Scott mm-hmm. um that they're in trouble and Derek needs to go help them and I'm like if you know that they're in trouble what are you just standing around for like you found out how did you find out they were in trouble and then at that point were you like I know I'm going to go find Derek Hale and make him do it. And when he finds that Derek is like on the floor unconscious, he's like, I know I'm going to pull out a dog whistle to wake his ass up and then tell him to go. Like, it just doesn't totally make sense to me. And I kind of wanted 
something to come of that. Like when in the very same episode in season two, when Derek talks about balance, I wanted it to be something like, for whatever reason, Deaton isn't allowed to intervene too much. Like he can a little bit, but he's not supposed to tip the scales too much in either direction. And so that there would be some kind of mysterious, magical, in narrative explanation for why Deaton seemingly arbitrarily withholds information and aid from characters at times. Yeah, it if that was like part of like the whole druid thing, you yeah. know, where it's just like you can give information, but you you cannot be in they're like like watchers or something. Right. It's like you can yeah. you can't like change the course of history, but I mean you can dip your toe in sometimes or that's really all you get to do. It's like you just let things play out as they're supposed to play out. Right. And but we don't ever get that. So he's just sadly it makes him not a great character because it is just stuff like I made promises that then never kept. So you're an asshole. <laughs> Apparently I'm written that way. Yeah. So it's just I'm yeah. not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Yeah. So it's just yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate because it's just a character coming across as something just because not enough thought was put into the character. Or at least not enough thought into what words mean when characters <laughs> say certain words like I made a promise, but then there's no evidence of that. Then it's just yeah. like, oh, you're a dick. <laughs> you know? Is that yeah. what we're, that's what we're, I mean, if that's not what you're aiming for, that's what we got because that's how words and actions work. <laughs> but, you know, so. Yeah, the other thing is with Morel, and I might end up eating my words if we do get into her motivation more and I just forgot, but I was wondering like, what is her motivation for being the emissary to an alpha pack like the alpha pack they're bad guys because they want power and yeah. they become more powerful by adding to their ranks and convincing alphas to kill their betas so that the alphas become more powerful and then join their alpha pack so that they collectively are super powerful and i don't know maybe their end goal is to like rule north america i i, I don't know yeah um but it's, it's about power and that's a pretty clear goal that they have. But it doesn't seem like if you're the emissary to the Alpha Pack that you really get in on that action. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's... You know, like anytime you have a villain with like a helper, we need to know why the helper gives a shit yeah, <laughs> and wants yeah. to help them. Morel doesn't you know? get anything at the end of this season. I'm fairly confident that by the end of this season, we can't say Morel is any better off than she was she's not really worse off either i guess people think she's a dick too but i mean they're emissaries so they're dicks but um you're right she doesn't have she doesn't want anything she's just yeah. a character we know who's in a surprising situation or a surprising placement in this alpha pack but then that's it it's just kind of like the shock value of like oh my god this character we know is doing things we never expected but then yeah. it's just like for what to what end are you doing this thing yeah. And there is no end. Peter kills Jennifer Blake at the end of the mm -hmm. season and Decalion is set free. And then Morel's just like, my work here is done. And we're all like, what the f work would, what? What, <laughs> yeah. what did you do? And, you and know? especially and, like, because in, at the end of season two, she's like, aren't you going to tell them what's coming? Referring presumably to the alpha pack. And it's like, why would you ask him that? Like, do you want him to warn them? Yeah. Like, what's the purpose of that? I mean, like later we do have like, 
alpha pack turning on her was she undercover question mark and if so like how is that supposed to play out because it like it's betting pretty high or betting pretty intense odds to be like i'll just close them in here with moon crazy betas hopefully they won't die or maybe they will i don't know i'm gonna walk away like it's just kind of a weird like it's exciting when you see a character we know in a surprising situation but then we need an explanation or we need some information i actually think it'd be really interesting if the emissary the the druid gains more power based on the power of the pack that they work with sort of like how sure in season one derek talks about how a lot of an alpha's power comes from their betas and Mm -hmm. having a pack like yes an alpha is somewhat stronger than a beta but if they're an alpha who doesn't have any betas they're not really that much stronger than a beta and that's why he feels like he has a shot at taking down the alpha in season one i think it would be really interesting if the same logic applied to an emissary like if you're an emissary to an alpha with no pack you're like nothing you can't do that much magic wise yeah but like the stronger the alpha is or the stronger the pack is, you kind of like unlock new levels of power. And so if yeah. the alpha pack becomes super powerful, she becomes super powerful too. Yeah. I love that. I think yeah, that's a too. really cool idea. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been great. I don't. I feel like that Morel, both Morel and Deaton suffer from you know, the the kind of trope of having mysterious characters who just kind of flit in and out of the story, kind of like the Cancer Man on X-Files, who is sometimes against Mulder and Scully, but sometimes helps them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, because yep. it, it is interesting when you have a character, you don't know where you don't know where their allegiances lie. And you're right. always and when you're there around, you're like something else is happening in the background. I don't know yet, but they're involved. Right. And that's kind of what you get from Deaton and Morell. Just it never comes to light. Like there's just never a moment where you're like, that's what you were doing the whole time. We were mm-hmm. idiots. Why didn't we see it? It's just, ooh, mysterious characters. See, and that's it. Yeah, I feel like we really didn't need that, especially with Peter, because so often Peter is like, has his own agenda and he like, you know, flits from one side to the other. I obviously, you know, love Teen Wolf and stuff. But I will say when it comes to this season, as opposed to the first and second season, I do feel like characters were introduced without them being fully thought through. And, you know, I feel like the first and second season were were more like thoroughly planned out. And this season, you know, we have Brayden being introduced and we have Morel. And I don't feel like you guys, I don't feel like the writers necessarily knew where they were going with them. And it kind of shows. Well, Brayden originally wasn't even really going to be a character. So I kind of get how that happened, where it was like, oh, people really love her. Let's just bring her back and yeah, figure but, it out. But we were never going to get anything about who she was or anything either. She was just going to be another mysterious one that was just like there right. that I don't know if she was that they were ever going to address, like how she put the thing, how she put the mark on their arms and like who she was working for or anything like that. It doesn't seem like any of that was ever going to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Yeah, because I, I remember when Braden, you know, she shows up in 401. No, 302. What? 312. She later, don't worry about it. She, she comes back later. But she shows up in a great scene with, with Derek and Peter, and it's a lot of fun. But you're right, we never go back to Mystery Girl. 
she's Brayden now. She's almost a whole new character. And right. like none of it's really brought up, or if it is, it's glossed over. We don't really think. And that's just we, the royal we, didn't want to do that. That was just she's a new character. Because you're she's very there's nothing, there's really not a lot to the mystery girl in 301. It's just she does an interesting thing with bruising, but then that's really the end of it. And she was mm-hmm. dead. Like she was dead until until Jeff decided, like, oh my God, what if she shows up? Type of thing with scars on her face. And and that was really the end of it. So, and that's unfortunate because like, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you introduce a thing, whatever story element you want to introduce, and then you want to come back to it later, but like spruce it up or something like that. It's like, you have to live with what you did. You can't just erase it and forget about it. Cause that just is bad storytelling. Cause then there are people like us who are like, well, but what about this other thing that doesn't work with what you've just told me? And we should have, we could have easily done something with it. Like that she was an emissary in training, her pack got wiped out and she became a mercenary. Mm-hmm. That would have been interesting. That, that right there was great. As soon as you said, yeah. I was like, oh, done. I want to watch the also, shit out of that. Yeah. Also, her pack could have been wiped out by the alpha pack because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big coincidence that Isaac just runs into mystery girl who knows a lot of things and can do some magic who isn't involved in this story actually. You know, and then later on, when she's introduced again, you could be, they'd be, oh my God, how are, you know, say, like, oh, I was an emissary. I, you know, they thought I was dead. I became a mercenary and I've been, I was hunting down the pack, but then they incapacitated me because they almost killed me. Done. Yeah. And That's it, it would be interesting Done. with like the bruises thing that it was like, yeah, you know, I, I would have been able to do something much like clearer and like if I'd had all my power, but because my pack was killed, it cut off all my abilities and I had very, very little left. So instead of being able to do these like dope rituals and spells, you know, I had to confine myself to like really small things that didn't require too much power. Right. Instead of beautiful emissary magic, it was dot matrix printer magic. Exactly. (laughs) You know, so yeah, exactly. Oh, no, like we, this, this magic is weirdly pixelated. I can hardly tell what you're <laughs> even trying to go with here. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, like, you, we could have fixed it. You know, I mean, or not fixed, because then when we were doing it at the time, it would just would have been a new story. But it was just not what we did, unfortunately. So, and it creates problems. But one awesome, well, lots of awesome, awesome things came out of this episode. But our final awesome thing is our first Banshee screen. Yeah. It's awesome. And I love this ending. Like, I love that something happens, but you have no idea what, like, there's zero context for the scream, you know? And it's like, I don't even know if it comes up in the next episode. Like, I can't remember. But it's just like, it's like her reveal as a banshee is like a slow burn until like 311 or something like that, you know, where it's just like Mm -hmm. something weird is happening to Lydia. And it's just like, but we're not going to tell you yet. You know, and the stuff with the drawing, the tree that turns into roots, which I still think is a fantastic reveal, you know, uh, of of all that. But um, yeah, so it's great. First Banshee scream. I didn't realize yeah. it came so early. <laughs> and we, we, we've talked about this before, but Teen Wolf is really good at using strong contextless imagery. And then you get the explanation, but that it makes that very first glimpse really punchy and strong yeah. and another great example is the the um the scene where victoria cuts her arm yeah. so that mm-hmm. she can then go have 
this conversation with Melissa, but we don't know that she's trying to have a conversation with Melissa, who of course is a medical professional. We just know that she's standing in her kitchen and like stone cold gets out a butcher knife and cuts herself with it. It's just like, what are you doing? What's happening? Why? (laughs) And it's so great. And um, I think this is just another example of that, of like a really strong, quick scene for which we don't have adequate context. And so it's just like, oh my God, what's happening? That is an intense scream. And she's like sort of writhing in bed. And yeah, it's great. It's awful. Like she like looks like she's in pain. Like something very bad is happening, which it is because she's screaming because someone's about to die. But um, it's just great. I eat that shit up. Like for (laughs) me, like anytime in a like prologues and epilogues that have stuff like that, where you're just like, I'm going to give you something that you're that you will be interesting but you'll have no context for it for a long time Mm -hmm. and then i'm going to come back to it you get this weird you get weird and then we don't touch on it again for a little while and then when we do it's awful and Mm -hmm. i so i just mm, just nom 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 all that story goodness (laughs) that concludes this week's episode of return to beacon hills we hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things teen wolf Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 3, Fireflies. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.